Drive-by Cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hello, it's episode 50 of Drive-by Cinema. I'm your host, Rick, and here is your other host, Paul. He who shall not be named. Well, has been named, fortunately. Yes, we're halfway there. Yeah, we're definitely halfway, halfway. there. <laughs> well, Although we're it's... not living on a prayer. Now then, Paul, there is something to clear up from a couple of episodes ago. Oh, heck. Paul. Yes. I asked you what the thing that tennis players put on their tennis rackets is called. It's, it's usually like a little kind of blob. Cat gut? No, no. no. Oh, do you mean like it's got little indentations so it'll fit onto the strings and then you put it at the top of your string somewhere? At the bottom. At, at the, the top of the handle, the bottom of the strings. But it fits on the strings? Yes, exactly. I, yeah, I don't know what that is. Yeah. Did you it's, find out? It's a dampener. It's oh. called a dampener or a vibration dampener. But what if your ball hits it? Ah. Well, I don't know about that. The rules that would be are, my concern. You know. The Lawn Tennis Association rules are that it must be outside the cross strings area. Whoa. I guess so, because then if the ball hits it, then it's like hitting the wood, isn't it? Kind of. In a way, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, why are they there? That's a bigger question, isn't it? Well, I've watched slow motion uh, time lapses of hitting a tennis ball. There's an awful lot of deformation in the in the racket strings as that ball pounds into them and, and plops back out again, like a distended horse's anus. Yeah. So they're called vibration dampeners, and the idea yeah. is. That they stop or reduce or damp the racket down. wobble. Well, on your hand, it's uh, got against cyst- not cystic fibrosis, a uh, carpal tunnel. I don't think they're that effective. Oh. I, I don't think they do that. I think that may be what people are you about think to or- debunk for us, Richard? Not totally, or just, or just cast doubt upon things. Paul, you've been playing tennis. When do you hit the ball with the with the racket? Yeah, is there not a noise that accompanies that? Several kinds of noises, some of which are more satisfying than others. Because when the pros play at Wimbledon, a thwack and a twong is the best kind. Of you hear a sort thwack of and ping. twong. You hear a ping, ding. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is that familiar? Like a vibratory ping. Yeah, that's what the dampener will kill. It will kill the strings pinging, ping. Ah. And it obviously does damp down the the string vibration vibration a bit, but really, it can't really kill the vibrations in the racket handle so much, can it? If you, I mean, let's face it. It's just not its not a mode of vibration that would affect those strings, really, at that point. True. But the noise, yes, it can certainly damp down the noise. Some players prefer it, and some players don't. Some players like the feel of an undamped racket, and some players don't. But I don't think it makes that much difference. A thwock. I would say a nice sound is a thwock. Like, there's a thwocky sound. A whack and a thwock. I take it from all of this that you don't have a a, a vibration dampener on your rackets. No. Otherwise, you could call me all the gear, no idea. (laughs) Isn't that the usual insult you pass towards? uh, You know, beginners who you know carry carry the big tennis bag and the three rackets and can't hit a ball over the net. I you know I I can't hit the ball over the net, but I I I, you know I don't have all the gear. I still have no idea, so I don't actually really know how that's preferable. I guess it's the idea of foolhardiness isn't it you know that you bought all this stuff and you can't utilize it is that the problem with all the gear no idea the idea is 
you're spending too much money on stuff that you don't you don't know how can't to appreciate. Yet, can't yeah. yet utilize it. Yeah, well, I've spent twenty five quid on a head, on a really good head racket. You know, I mean, the tennis racket technology. Or can I say bat? Is that okay? Tennis bat technology has just come forward so far in the last 20, 30 years. It's it's incredible. It's well, this is shocking. it. And tennis rackets these days have a lot of dampening built into them anyway. Yeah. Do you know what tension you have on your on your racket? No. In fact, well, it came off Amazon, so I haven't had it restrung or retensioned yet. I guess I, I'm told you're supposed to do it once a month, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. Once a month? So, yeah. <laughs> if you're playing like three or four times a week. Right. Wow. You, you asked me another question, Richard. Is that question over with? Because you asked me how fast I can serve a serve. I did ask I, that. I yeah. can serve. And I don't know. Oh, well, I'm glad you brought up that question so that you could fulfill... <laughs> curiosity. <laughs> well, I bought two things because, you know, they do social tennis where I play, uh, which is where people uh, mix in, if you know the tennis terminology. And I guess social tennis is exactly the kind of tennis where they don't ask how fast you're serving. Exactly. Yeah. You serve underarm. You, you're allowed, you can serve underarm if you want to. There's no law against it. Wow. I'm glad you investigated it. You can't bounce it. You know, you can't bounce it. You know, when people are first doing it, they, they bounce it and their hands doesn't move and then the other arm moves slowly as the bounce is too late kind of thing. You can't do that kind of thing. You've got to hit it to the racket. Underarm or overarm. But in social tennis, what we're we talking about? Uh, yes. How fast are we serving tennis balls? Is that right? I can't yes. Remember. Yeah. Social tennis. And you said... So, yes. So, there's that three or four times a week. But obviously, you know, it's a good five miles down and back in the car or whatever and... It might interrupt my work uh, or whatever, or work might interrupt it. And uh, so I don't always go. So I thought, well, you know, I've got a park next door to me. And I bought two rather delightful little objects. One is called a tennis rebounder. And essentially what it is, it's like a giant deck chair, but huge. <laughs> and you launch a ball into it and it sort of the ball rolls up to the top of the deck chair. And then rolls back off a loop at the bottom and bounces back to you. And you can just like hit shots against it. It's a giant, giant deck chair, essentially. But you can play, it's like Borley, Warly Borley, you know, but except it's to a cloth that absorbs it and brings it and brings the ball back to you as if it was coming back from an opponent. Uh, and, or you could just play against a garage door, I guess. And the other one is the, uh, like the tennis, tennis ball on a string kind of thing. It's got a name for it too. And this is like a little, little water weight or a sand weight with <laughs> a piece of elastic and a tennis ball special designed to attach to the elastic. Like swing ball, but it, you don't go around. You just go backwards and forwards kind of thing. And that arrived today, and that is incredible. For the princess of £12, you can actually have a rally with yourself. It's absolutely amazing. So now I can be rude to all the old women that I usually, usually play with because I don't need them anymore. You know. Right now, you you have friendless tennis. I can have friendless tennis. It's like it's yeah. like the best of all worlds. Yeah, for twelve <laughs> for twelve pounds too. The giant deck chair, the tennis rebounder was a backboard. Is also the name for it. Oh, sorry, the, the stringy one is actually called a rebounder, and a backboard is what the giant deck chair is called. Uh, and uh, that was only like forty five quid. Also, so I was like really happy with these purchases, Richard. In my imagination, this deck chair would have to be incredibly wide. It's about eight foot wide, yeah, yeah. And is it not difficult? It would be difficult for me to hit that kind of target from across the tennis court. But well, this is it. You see, tennis requires accuracy across a cross court shot. Like the, you t- the maximum angle you can be out is twenty degrees. You know, from from the straight shot, it's twenty degrees. Any more than twenty, and it's most likely not going to land in. So it's twenty degrees one way or the other, really. 
It's not like um, it's not like a short short court game like uh, squash or t- badminton where you can you know play the forty or fifty degree side shots. You know, it's pretty much all forward forward hitting, and accuracy therefore becomes important because I think it's twenty six meters long. You know, from baseline to baseline, and often people are playing behind the baseline, so it's the length of a basketball court almost. I think you know when you're playing tennis. Now, Paul, when I asked you about vibration dampness in tennis, you shot back with a question about the name for the clicker on a ballpoint pen. Yeah. It's not really a clicker, is it? Well, I've researched this, and I've come back now with some answers, so I hope hope you're grateful and hope you're ready for them. So there are several names that are used, and I don't know whether it's different manufacturers or maybe different patents even. Yeah. But sometimes it's called... A push button. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes it's known as the plunger. Wow. But the my favourite name, and I've not seen this often, but I have seen it on more than one occasion, is the thrust device. Not keen on that. I think that might more be for propelling pencils, but I'm not. I, I wouldn't rule it out for a pen. How about names for cafetiers? Names for them. Well, the naming of. What? You just have well, a cafeteria and you give it a name? Well, coffee plunger. People don't like that because of the association with toilet plungers. But I think coffee press is a better name for them, do you know? Ah, uh, I think a coffee press is a different thing. Oh, is it? The, oh, there's an entire discussion we need to have about coffee, but I, I don't think a cafeteria is a coffee press, weirdly. Even but do you think cafeteria is a good name for what, whatever it is? Well, it does describe exactly the thing that we are all thinking of now, doesn't it? Yeah. Like a jug with a sieve in it. A movable sieve. Anyway, Paul, which film are we currently avoiding talking about this week? Well, it is stylized as lowercase mother, exclamation mark. And we just debated whether that exclamation mark is punctuation or just a punctuation mark. So it's mother from 2017. Mother, Paul, exclamation mark, by Darren Aronofsky. Yes. Have you seen any of his other stuff? Probably. Oh, <laughs> Requiem for a Dream? No. Oh, uh, Black Swan? Yes. Oh, you've seen Was Black that Swan? Netflix? What do you mean, was that Netflix? Was that not a Netflix production? The one with Natalie Portman playing yes. a ballet dancer. Do you know, I haven't seen it. Is it any good? I can't remember. Oh, it's highly regarded. Oh. He also did Pi. Not seen, sorry. Oh no, I have. Ah. Is that the bloke? Is that the kid with the tiger on a boat? No, that's the story that's of Life of Pi. Oh, no. No, Pi is know. about a mathematician going kind of mad. I think. Oh, why are you staring anyway. at me? I'm not a mathematician. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it wasn't. On. It wasn't an accusation. <laughs> um, so Aronofsky, you know. He has an interesting film history. Some of them are highly regarded. Some of them maybe less so, I don't know. Requiem for a Dream is often cited in one of the most disturbing movies kind of thing. It's a story about drug addiction and how it breaks people's lives and, you know, shatters them and brings them down. It's quite uh, a demoralising kind of film. Very bleak, but quite well observed in a lot of respects. Does it lend itself to a particular school of acting, perhaps? Well, I'm just saying, judging by Mother, I don't know who script wrote this, but 
Darren Ar- Aronofsky wrote the script. Did in fact, Darren, Ar- Darren wrote this script in five days, apparently. Oh, well done, Darren. Aaron, <laughs> sorry. Darren. Well, I'm just saying, I- I'm just saying, you know, before we get into Mother, like, I-, I feel it might lend itself to the kind of actors who are, you know, two streets around the back of Broadway, doing those kind of, uh, you know, those kind of matinee shows where where either they're in turtle, turtle, turtlenecks or the audience turtlenecks, yeah. you know. There's spotlights on dramatic actors standing in the middle of the audience and Michael Stipe <laughs> might, might be in the VIP section kind of thing. No, I think Requiem for a Dream is a lot more... It, it, it's a lot realer. It's much less stylized and uh, stilted than Mother. I think it's a completely different form of movie, in fact. Now, this advertised itself as a slow burner. I don't know what we think about that. I'd go along with that, although uh, it's a slow burner if you're expecting a grand sweeping narrative. It's a quick burner if you think it's what it seems to be at the start, which is a story of a writer and his wife trying to get on with renovate their life. a house. Yeah, renovate yeah. a house. Then it's not a slow burner. Then it quickly goes completely batshit crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but that's because this is a biblical allegory. It's a very thinly veiled allegory of biblical story, the biblical story, I suppose, told in this framing of being like a guy and his wife. Uh, making a, a life in this house that was recently burnt down. Hmm. And so, well, uh, things go pie-shaped pretty quickly, don't they? And then we get the downhill slalom of, of, of narrative, where there's a constant frantic tone and very few lulls. There's no there's no wane to the wax here, is there? It's just, it's just full-on nuttiness, isn't it, really, for two hours? Let's just explain what's going on here. So, Jen Law, Jennifer Lawrence, plays the... Uh, the female lead in this. And she is really playing the role, although it's never expressly explained. She's obviously playing the role of Earth Mother kind of thing. Ah. Well, she's called Mother. The names of the characters are rather annoying. Him, Mother, Man, Wife, uh, (laughs) Visitor. Uh, It's... This is why, you know, I'm thinking two streets back from Broadway kind of thing, you know. Now, later on... Effectively... And then we get day one, day two, day three, day four, kind of thing. Late, later on, she effectively becomes the Virgin Mary. I see. An- you know, another kind of mother. Or is the Virgin Mary associated with the Earth Mother? I don't... That, that may be a bit of religious, theological, you know, what would be the word? Ecumenical stuff that I don't fully understand, but... Uh, effectively, she gives birth to the Messiah, doesn't she, later on in the film? Yes. As, as you would expect from a biblical allegory. He's not a very naughty boy, though, is he? he really, he's quite a well-behaved boy. <laughs> he doesn't really get a chance to make his mark, does he, in this particular no. telling of the story? No, he doesn't, no. Her husband is supposedly God, played by Javier Bardem. Ah. So he is... Uh, he is bringing life into the world in sort of different ways and she is the earth mother also sort of nature is springing up around her and she's renovating the house but he's the architect of all of the sort of events in some, somewhere or other 
Although it's framed, again, in terms of him being an, a writer trying to write novels, trying to write books or something, which, again, is thinly veiled as being the Bible. I see. Well, as soon as Jennifer Lawrence gets pregnant with the Messiah, as we come to work out, he immediately starts writing. If you remember the scene when ah. they wake up in bed in the morning, he's suddenly filled with you know, writerly, his writer's block is gone and he jumps out of bed and starts writing. And this new book, the second book of his, effectively, is a huge hit. And it instigates, you know, the arrival of more uh, devoted followers and fans to the to the house. I'm suddenly thinking of, do you know the band James? I think <laughs> they had a tendency to engage with Christian mythology, didn't they? You know? They did a uh, bit, yeah. On, on, on a metaphorical, not on, not on a convert, you know, let's convert to Christianity level, but on a, on a you know, on a, on a metaphorical level, on a cultural meta, you know, cultural import level, quite worthy. And I'm suddenly reminded of that. It's like, I mean, well, Tim Booth, he ended up doing, he ended up singing in a sort of nativity that was done in in Manchester City Centre at one stage, yeah. So, uh, but with this kind of stuff, is you know, I mean. It's obviously about the Bible. Why just make it explicit? I don't know why we need to couch it in, you know, Shakespeare for modern times kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> now, I don't think Darren Aronofsky is particularly religious. In fact, I think no, he said no. that he's godless, basically. Which, But he wants to examine the cultural trope, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't come across very well, if you ask me. But then again, you know what people sometimes say? Oh, whether or not you believe in the Bible, it's still a beautiful piece of prose. You, you ever heard people say? say I have. I, I can go along with the idea, you know, these are themes, you know, motherhood and, 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 and birth and rebirth and life. You know, these are themes that extend beyond religious belief. And I can go along with that. I think the Bible's trash. I really think it's terribly written. <laughs> don't, you, don't you think it's awful? I've never, I've never really delved or dived into it in any kind of way. There's one good bit, to be fair, there's one good bit where God sends a couple of bears to maul some kids for making fun of a bald guy. And I can get I can get behind that. <laughs> but the rest of it is not hey, real nonsense. <laughs> I was walking through the park the other day and there's uh, some kid who's you know, I think they were sniffing some tubes. Uh and uh, three girls and one lad and the lad then proceeds to blow up a condom and put it on his fist <laughs> and shout at me whilst I was walking past. I didn't really know how to respond because you can get arrested for talking to... Or you get arrested for talking back to minors, can't you, these days? What? What if for? They, if you make them feel uncomfortable. Like, no. If you say, stop doing that. Stop doing that, you know. Did you did you see that on GB News or... No. Read no. it in the Daily Mail? Huh? What do you mean you no, can't I'm, talk back I'm to new me? back. I'm new back to the country. Should I tell what the rules are? Well, no, you can't. But... What will probably more likely happen is you'll get beaten up and possibly killed by a bunch when of... When they flick a knife out, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's caveat don't talk to Don't yeah. talk to teenagers, yeah. Don't talk to strangers, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so hang on, he put a condom on his fist and what? And did what to you? I don't know. But he brandished so it at you. He didn't... I don't, think he was brand, I don't think he was threatening to fist me. I think he was just being silly. Uh <laughs> But his friends told him to shut up, so I, I walked past and didn't say anything. Sorry, where were we? Oh, we're on this movie, Mother. Yeah, I was, I was saying that uh, in defiance of those people who think that the Bible is a beautiful, beautiful piece of prose, I think it's a nasty piece of work. 
and I don't really understand why you would hold it in such high regard. I'll try yes, and copy the story. Okay. Now, Darren Aronofsky, despite not being particularly religious, he also did another religiously themed film just before, I think, this one. He did a version of the Noah story, which of all really? the stories in the Bible has got to be the one which is, which neither makes sense li- literally, clearly it can't be literally true, nor does it make any sense as an allegory anyway. I mean, what, what does it mean? Well, I suppose the message behind the Noah story is sometimes you've just got to throw the whole thing away and start again. Is that, is that what it's saying? Oh, God decides, oh, I've made a mistake. I've fluffed up here. Let's just flood the whole place. Uh, I mean, why would this all-powerful God need to get a guy to put all the animals on a boat? Why couldn't he just like magically kill all the people without killing all the animals. Doesn't make any sense, does it? That's a big question. There's usually an answer to this that the theologians would give. Yeah, they've had 2,000 years to try and think up some cockamamie story to explain it away, haven't they? I'd be very disappointed in them if they they hadn't. Like, well, it would just be like failing your essay um, assignment, wouldn't it, if they hadn't come up with something. So Havar is him, and he's he's a poet, he's a writer, he's a fighter, he's a know-it-all, and he, he's got fans. And some guy turns up at the door and says, I'm a really big fan of your husband, and he's writing, presumably. And do you mind if I overstay a welcome? And that's Adam, overstay. of course. That's the first oh, man. Oh, is that Adam? Yeah. That's Ed Harris. Yeah. Play, Ed Harris playing. That's why he's called Man. And then man. he brings his wife, played by Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. She's Eve, of course. Really? And Eve goes into his... Eve's a bit of a cow, isn't she? Honestly. Eve goes into his study where he keeps... Well, that's it. You see, Adam and Eve are quite flawed in the Bible, aren't they? Or Eve is particularly. Well, she's painted as being the the one who succumbed to temptation, isn't she? Or, yeah, yeah, temptress. Mm, I don't know. Tempted and temptress. It's all confused, isn't it? Devil woman. So Javier's got in his... In his study, he's got this special gemstone, this crystal thing, which he seems to covet and treat with great respect. And he insists no one would ever touch it, should ever touch it. Of course, Eve and Adam are fascinated by it, and they want to go and have a mooch around and poke at it. And eventually they break it, which causes causes God to get very upset, and he boards up his study. You know, Ah. very rational thing to do, isn't it? But that's the Garden of Eden that he's chucking them out of, isn't it? I see. So, did you ever think that at some point this crystal ball is going to become a MacGuffin? And, you know, have more than more of a role in the movie than, than it actually turned out to do? It comes from full circle at the end, doesn't it? I know. There's no quest for the crystal, is there, really? No. Well, it's just like the apple in the Genesis story, so it isn't it? Doesn't even really compare to Crystal Maze in that sense, does it? <laughs> Welcome to the Crystal Maze. Got the crystal! I got the crystal! Right. Listen, stop me. <laughs> well, I don't, you're, look, I know what you're hesitating for. Is we're going to try and make sense of this this complete bedraggled cat of a movie. You know, I mean, it's impossible. I'm going to have to keep banging us both over the head with the really, really heavy-handed allusions and metaphors and allegories. Well, please, because I don't know what they are. I just I just know that, uh, that Jennifer Lawrence's character hides a cigarette lighter. That's true, yeah. Then her tummy rumbles, and then she kind of disappears into a K-hole. 
about 18 minutes in. I just <laughs> had no idea what was going on there. <laughs> and that's the point where I ceased to understand anything really about this movie. Well, we've got to do Cain and Abel first, of course, because yeah, the sons oh, of Adam and Eve turn up and have a fight. Oh, that's Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, yeah, because he stabs him, doesn't he? And obviously he dies, and they end up taking him to the hospital, but he doesn't make it. And then there's a funeral. They have a funeral in their house for some reason. Well, I suppose Adam and Eve don't have anywhere else to go. I mean, this really is the universe. This house is the universe, really, by the allegory, by the logic of this fucking allegory. So they have a funeral in their house, and there's sort of a big wake going on, and all these people arrive, and presumably they would all be the sons and daughters and grandsons and grandchildren of Adam and Eve, wouldn't they? But all these people arrive anyway, and they're making a nuisance through the house, and they are, Jennifer yeah. Lawrence is not very happy about it, of course, because they're making a mess. And they keep sitting on the sink, which, as she's said before several times in the film already, is not braced properly. She's a bit of a handyman, isn't she, around the house? <laughs> but she hasn't yet got round to bracing the sink. Don't sit on it, even though it's one of those big old ones that you could easily like, hitch up on and Take sit. Take your weight, yeah. Well, of course, the inevitable happens. Actually, it's not inevitable, is it? Because the girl sitting on the sink decides, just out of spite, really, to bounce up and down on it just to show her. And it does come wow. away from the wall. And, of course, the flood happens, which is the allegory for the flood. And everyone has to get out of the house. Oh! That's right, yeah. Thank you. So beating is over the head with these. <laughs> so, I I, got, I know what he's doing. You know those memory, those memory masters who can remember, like, remember yeah, a, the memory a sequence palace, of pie? Yeah. yeah. A sequence of pie by, by making a story out of it. That's yeah. right. Each room in the house. They're doing, they're doing this with the Bible. Yes, it's that's like, right. You can remember the whole Bible. Now you're in the kitchen, the flood's going to happen, everyone has to leave. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it's after that that he shags her, and she becomes pregnant. And then she has as she has those moments, like you say, the K-hole moments. So we're, get, we're getting towards Jesus moments here, aren't we? That's right, yeah. By this time, though, there are throngs She's, of no. fans coming to adore uh, the writer. Because as soon as he knocks her up, he is writing the New Testament and everyone loves it. Everyone loves it. They all arrive. They all come into the oh. door and they're trying to get copies wow. and sign copies and stuff. And a sort of cults spring up in different rooms in the house, don't they? Oh, She's wandering around from Not heavy handed at all, this. That's right. And uh, there are sort of Albanian sex traffickers appear and they put all the women in a cage at one point. And they investigate, but they, they inspect her, don't they? They have a look at her teeth to see whether she's any good. Really? But she escapes, doesn't she? And he eventually sort of rescues her from all the crowd and takes her into his study and they close the doors behind them so she can give birth finally. And God. then there's this really unpleasant, creepy, tense scene after she's given birth. She obviously doesn't trust him with the baby because she thinks that he's, he's going to show the baby to... The adoring crowd who are desperate to see it, apparently. And uh, she doesn't want that to happen. She thinks they're all crazy, which of course they are. So she's trying to stay awake. It's one of those moments you get in a lot of horror movies where she's very sleepy. She's just given birth, for heaven's sake. She's trying to stay awake so he can't take the little baby away from her. But eventually she does fall asleep 
And of course, Javier picks the baby up and he goes outside. They pass it around like a like a passes like it around, yeah. Munich beer garden. Woo-hoo! And what happens to the baby? Does it get impaled on a stick? They're holding they it aloft it. and shaking it around, and it breaks its neck at some point, rather grisly. Oh. But but they're saying, oh, it's still alive, don't worry, it's still alive. And they all cry as if the baby is still crying. She's running around frantic saying, you've killed my baby, you've killed my baby. And then she pushes away to the front of the crowd and they've pulled it apart and they're all eating. And this is, this is the allegory for eating the flesh of Christ, you know, in the communion. Ah. They're all eating, literally eating the Messiah. What about flesh. the bit where, the, where she sees a, like a... Like a, a pumping heart being flushed down a toilet. Did anybody find out what that meant? Or when the husband crushes cr- crushes a brandy glass in his hand? I mean, does it? I mean, there is a there is a thing. How granular is the is the allegory here? Does, you know, is it just this is it? If you go on Google the Google Maps version of this, if you know, if you, if you were to zoom down to the, to the to the word level of this of this script, would it all would it all tie in somehow? Do you think, or is it not like that? Well, there is a moment, you know, early on where Adam has arrived and he gets drunk, apparently, and uh, Javier's character is helping him in the toilet. He's throwing up in the toilet and you see uh, Javier holding holding Adam by the ribs, by his side. And you can see there's a mark on his ribs, like a bruise or a cut or a wound. And of course, that's where God has taken Adam's rib to make Eve with, because you haven't seen Eve yet. Later on, of course, Michelle Pfeiffer turns up, but you've seen where the rivers come out of, come out of Adam. So, Lord knows, <laughs> there must be something about the heart being flushed down the toilet. I guess so. Yeah. Did you get Did you get to crib all this from one website, Richard? Did you have to Did you have to root around to find these answers? No, a lot a lot of this I just spotted. I think. Oh wow. This film is like Marmite. It's divided people. Some people seem to really like it. Some of the reviews are very positive towards it. Some people don't think so much of it. But I have read some people say that you don't have to take it as an allegorical film if you want. It's just a straight up kind of head rush film. Which, oh yeah, yeah. What? I think that's bullshit. It doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, 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 I'd be sarcastic. <laughs> How does it make any sense? Uh, if it isn't an allegory. I mean, the house ends up being populated by hundreds and hundreds of people. There's a military invasion happening. You know, guys burst through the windows with, you know, helicopters and stuff outside. The full-scale firefight happens. The guy gets his jaw blown off. She's the second film, you know, I think of recent times that we've been reviewing where someone gets their jaw blown off quite convincingly, isn't it? <laughs> So, well, I mean, like I didn't when I was watching this, I didn't, you know, do my homework beforehand, so I, I had no idea it was a biblical Delicious. allegory. So what? I, I had no idea. So what, at what so, point? When well, you were I'm, I'm looking this? at my notes here. Well, by day three of the of the timeline, I can't stop taking notes because it's obvious I'm confused. You know, I'm like things like the the fetus the fetus is moving. Uh, she dresses up all swanky, another crowd of people, clock ticking, where will she freak out again? You know, I, I just, I, it's obvious I just don't know what's going on, I'm just writing out <laughs> anything down in my notes. And then I, I kind of stop watching the movie and just, you know, I, I make more pon- pontifications really about, about the movie itself, because obviously I'm not following the script. And I say, you know, this really reminds me of Greek theatre. <laughs> uh, and uh, I'm really reminded of Xenarchus, the composer who just <laughs> composed very, very random tracks based on statistical 
models. You know, so I'm thinking it's 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 it's. A, I was thinking, you know, it, it's a violent act of deconstructing and, and destroying narrative. Is what I was thinking. I had no idea it was supposed to make sense. I had no idea it was supposed to be a story <laughs> that you could follow. I don't think it's purely biblical either, is it? Because, well, partly because I don't. Well, think... it sounds to be almost entirely biblical. Yeah. No, all of the bits that we've highlighted, certainly. But again, I don't think Aronofsky's particularly religious. And I don't think he's a sort of diehard adherent to any one, you know, taking of the text. I think it mixes in a lot of other things. So I think, like, the stuff with the lighter probably is a bit more Prometheus, a bit more Greeky, isn't it? Ah. And, you know, Earth Mother herself is not fundamentally a very Christian thing. It's a bit more pagan, isn't it? So... So what's the point of putting it in this context of a of, of, of reframing it in the context of a two hour movie about people moving into a new home? I don't know, Paul. Fuck knows. He wrote it. In, <laughs> he wrote it in five days. Five He's admitted days. that. <laughs> I mean, it's an intellectual exercise, isn't it? You know, when can... you've taken too much speed, what is the come down? <laughs> it is five days, isn't it? It is. So yeah. don't take too much speed. Crystal meth. Because maybe, you'll maybe write a like. script like this. Yeah. I mean, it's an intellectual exercise, isn't it? Like, let's take a big story about something, try and shrink it down, make all these little things fit. You know, you can see... That's I, that's an enjoyable intellectual, intellectual exercise if you like doing that kind of thing. If yeah. you like doing that. But we don't need to watch it, do we? Do it for yourself. You know, a lot of the art movies that we've watched have made me feel that like I'm not quite smart enough to understand what's going on. But the first time, this movie made me feel much smarter... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm quite confident that I understand what's going on because it's so heavy-handed all the time. Um, and when it isn't heavy-handed, it's just like artlessly vague and weird. It seems to me. But I mean, the thing about the Bible is it does come with quite a few good quotes, mostly from the like, those like bearded prophets. I think like halfway through the Old Testament, but there was no good dialogue in here, was there? I mean, that was the point. It was it was like a radio play by Woody Allen, wasn't it? You know, I mean, the dialogue it was. We were stuck in inside, a, you know, a house with wooden floors and creaky floorboards and and lots of repairs needed doing, you know. But nothing shone about it. I don't think. I mean, I don't think it wasn't an advert for the Bible, was it? It wasn't. It, no, he's not, pros, not no. proselytizing here. He's no. not trying to make the Bible story attractive to a new generation kind of thing. Is there anything like that? No. But at the same time, there was nothing good about it in itself either, in terms of the dialogue or in terms of the scripting or anything really. I I literally took it for. An aggressive act, whether it's Dadaist or situationist, an aggressive act of, of ripping apart counter narrative, yeah, counter narrative, and the idea of what film should do. And I was judging it on that basis. And it's when I got to the end, I thought, and then I read, you know, maybe you told me, but I, I think I read also this is a biblical allegory. I thought, what the hell? It, it's almost expressly non-religious in its in how it does everything. What do I want to mean by that? What I mean is, if you wanted to see this as a criticism of religion or of Christianity, it doesn't work. It fails because it's a straw man, because it doesn't represent, you know, the story properly. And no Christian is going to recognise their religion in it. So it fails in that sense. And as you say, it absolutely also does not proselytise. So what is it doing? It's neither promoting nor criticising properly, really. I mean, for a start, Javier's character, God, him, He's such an arsehole. He's totally un- unlikable. <laughs> you know, every respect, it's a, it's a wonder why Jennifer Lawrence's character has a thing for him. Except, of course, she's Earth Mother and he's God. But, you know, he doesn't endear himself to anybody, does he? He's a total 
He's first of all, he's totally ineffective, and secondly, presumably, the books that he's writing predict everything that happens. It must be all laid out. That's the story, isn't it? Effectively, ah. and he's written it. You know, before it all happens, he's written the New Testament. The moment he is impregnated, um, the Virgin Mary. What a bastard! So it wasn't trite, it wasn't tokenistic, it wasn't sermonised, it wasn't sanctimonious or any of those things. It wasn't. But it wasn't anything. It wasn't, anything. It wasn't either. It wasn't worthy, it wasn't hard hitting, it wasn't revelatory about how we should perceive, you know. Well, it's quite hard hitting in the by, sense that they kill and dismember and eat a baby. Yeah, I mean, you've got like rivers of blood flowing down into the basement when the, when the brothers fight and stuff like that. I mean, it's visually uh, quite hard hitting. Thing, but it doesn't really do anything, does it? I don't think as a movie. No, I mean that's why the only thing I got was this constant harrowing kind of uh, very very, you know, that constant frantic tone that reminded me a lot of Greek Greek tragedy. You know, Greek tragedy just doesn't hold back. It's you know, it's there are sh- there's shrapnel going off all the time, kind of stuff. You know, there's, there's shrapnel everywhere. Sorry, in, in terms of what's happening, and there, there was that sense of constant. You know, you think people would be wailing and crying in the background. It's, you know, it's, it's a bit of a war zone, isn't it, of a movie? There's the, and, but I thought that quite emotionally exhausting, really. I mean, I, I just couldn't keep up with the characters and their emotions. Well, because there was there was no con- continuity in how they behaved. You know, it was that, there was that, I don't know, just, it was just such a weird situation they were in. You know, people turn up out of the blue and then people do weird things and then people go crazy and, you know, and then start idolizing it's only when you know that he's god that that makes sense because why would people turn up to your house and start <laughs> idolizing you because you're a poet you know yeah. now in the end of the film she stricken with grief for losing her baby and having a house full of lunatics she goes down into the basement where she finds her way into a sort of secret compartment underneath the floor which has got uh, an oil tank in it, like you might use for central heating oil. And yeah. she smashes it open so it leaks everywhere. And then she sets fire to it you know, in a way that I'm not sure heavy heating oil would burn like that. But there you go. The whole place explodes and the house burns down. And we see her sort of burning in the, in the flames because she did it right at her feet. And this relates back to the very opening and of the movie. And who is she? She's Mother Earth, yeah. She's Mother Earth, yeah. Uh, uh, now, at the very start of the film, the first image we saw was, again, the face of a woman, not Jennifer Lawrence, actually, another woman, I think, but a face of a woman, sort of burnt, and uh, and then you saw Jennifer Lawrence kind of appear out of bed. Do you think it was an attempt to tie this into modern concerns about the environment? Oh, totally. This is what I mean by adding extra things in. Because the time is coming kind of thing. Book with Richard Branson or Elon Musk. Book your ticket now kind of thing. Well, literally what they what he's saying, again, it's so heavy-handed, this allegory. She's going into the basement underground where the fossil fuels are all stored. Ah. And she burns up all the fossil fuels and it destroys you know, this, the earth. This, <laughs> this heavy-handed allegory is really... Yeah, it's really... but. It's really growing, going, but that's Mother Earth. Mother Earth's not doing it to herself, is she? Well, she is in this case, but only We're doing she's been it. driven to it, hasn't, hasn't she? She's been driven oh. to it. And of course, what happens at the end is him, Javier, he grabs her burnt body, really horribly burnt body, and he carries her and he you know, expresses her love for her and she for him. And then he reaches into her and he pulls out her heart and he squeezes it until it becomes the crystal. 
pure crystal. And then the, the house is restored and a new woman appears in the bed, just as Jennifer Lawrence had at the start of the film. Uh-huh. So the whole thing is returned. Eternal, eternal truth. The eternal truth, Phil. Which makes him even more of a cunt, right? Because he knows exactly what's going to happen. It just happens the same way each time. It's a Poincar return, isn't it? The whole thing. Oh. Well, I'm not sure talking about this talking about this has made it any better or not, really. What's good about this movie, then? <sighs> I say it reviewed very well I, 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 it, it, by a lot of critics. Gave it high scores. I don't like black and white movies. It isn't black generally. and white. I think it is, isn't it? It feels like it's black and white. <laughs> no, it's full color, man. In fact, it's beautifully it? full color. Yeah, is it? I mean, you could say of this film that it is very well shot. The house is maybe quite monochrome in its design, and even she yes. even wears like greys and stuff and beiges. She experiments with beige and grey and yellow. It's all a bit American Gothic, isn't it? Oh, very much so, yeah. Yeah. So that's why I remember it as being black and white, I guess. Amazing. But Maybe you dreamt it, Paul. So what's good about it? Well, I was hoping hoping that Michelle Pfeiffer was going to put on a good show, which she didn't really. But then, you know, I mean, what's she been asked to do? I don't think you can lay any of the blame for this movie at any of the actors' feet. I think... They did a stand-up job, and I think Jennifer Lawrence particularly did a great job. I mean, I don't think there are any redeeming features. I mean, like, oh, I mean, you watch the movie, wow, it really makes you think about the Bible in a different way. Well, no, it doesn't. It's the same story. Wow, it really <laughs> makes you think about the Bible. If the Bible were, like, true today in an abandoned house in the countryside. So I, it doesn't, I don't know. Like, I, I just don't see what it brings to the party at all. Yeah, I agree. It's time to do the scores then. It sounds like you're oh, doing the scores, you. doesn't it? Well, look, I'm going to do acting first and say that I think, as I say, I don't think they can be blamed. I think they did a, on the whole a good job. So I'm going to say uh, a seven overall for the acting. Yeah, I think the acting was 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 good, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you can have the best chef in the world but if you want to give him hundreds of thousands and ice cream sprinkles, you're never going to score his dessert ten out of ten, are you? Do you know what I mean? So, so um, they did they, they they did well with what they were given, but ultimately they weren't given enough to perform well. So it's going to be a six for me. Hmm. Okay. Let's do special effects. Yeah, this is probably actually now thinking about it, this is probably the strongest the bit, movie yeah. for me. Yeah. Yeah. The goodest, bestest bit. Was you know the rivers of blood, pumping hearts or fetuses, leaking and being flushed down a toilet kind of stuff. Horrifically you know? burnt people, yeah. and yeah. Uh, ripping babies apart, eating them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, all that. Was there a distended jaw? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. The the soldier who tried to help her got his jaw shot off. Yeah, or blown off. For the special effects, I'm going to give it an eight. I'm going to give it a seven. So now we come to the writing and the plot. <laughs> yeah hmm. I mean I would normally say the less said about this the better but we've already spoken at length about it so might as well carry on I have to say now you've pointed it out that the allegory does seem to run to a level of specification and granularity that's quite impressive in some respect you know that they've managed to represent floods and betrayals it's not subtle and, though is it <laughs> no but so I want to say the 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 meticulousness there is impressive, but it's like 
instead of a Fabergé egg, he's created a really large brass kind of Cadbury's cream egg. Yeah, fireplace. <laughs> yeah, it's just a gigantic brass ornament that he's produced. You know, it's very heavy-handed, not not particularly well ruled, but props to doing it. So the balance of those two things, I'm gonna say. Oh, and the fact that it's just complete. It, it's just random nonsense. I mean. The Bible itself is a whole book. It's not. It's it's a series of books, isn't it? Essentially? Yeah, yeah. Which which themselves the, are the, random nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> the, but the, they're not meant to fit together into a linear structure, are they? In any, in any conceivable form? Not in any sane world. No. They're they're a collection. They're a collection of books. You know. So uh, to decide to do the whole Bible, I think it has to get a minus point. Mostly negatives. I would say three. Yeah, it's bad theology, bad li- biblical scholarship, bad atheism. It's bad everything. I, I saw a review somewhere. You don't even like the you don't like the bravery of the extended metaphor, extended allegory that he's gone for, because he's thrown a whole hail mary up the pitch, hasn't he? Kind of thing up the field. You don't admire the ambition of it. No, I think as someone, some reviewer had said, it's it's like no one's checked him on the idea, right? You know, he's pitched this idea yeah. to people, to his funders or his backers or some people. You know, he's obviously got some other films under his belt and they've given him too much rope and he's gone off and hung himself on it. I think right. it's a pretentious idea. It's cute. And he's just trying to run too hard and fast with it. Yeah. Uh, so I've got to give it a one, I think. For being memorably bad, I mean... So let's talk about overall then. Oh, but we've got one more category to score. Okay, what's that? The uh, makes you think factor. Oh, because it's an arty movie. Okay. Makes you emote or think factor, decide on either of those. I think it's so heavy-handed that when you get to the allegory, you hate it. I mean, the, sitting on the sink to cause the flood is a poke in the fucking eye. That's just eye. terrible. It's terrible, yeah. yeah. That's just... But I do admire the granularity <laughs> of it, you know. The fact that he's had to think of something to represent the flood. I admire that. I mean, despite the fact that what he comes up with is just... Ridiculous nonsense. It's B and Q level nonsense. Ah, you see, what you should have had there was grommets on your a flexible downpipe would have sorted you out. <laughs> yeah, no floods going through the Mediterranean then. <laughs> yeah, so sorry, Richard, you're about to say for you. Make sure, make sure think. Is the is the is the moon made of green cheese? Moment. Did it have a moment for you where it made you think about something? But I mean, obviously, it's more cerebral than you know, Fast and Furious movie. I suppose. I don't know. I think I think Fast and Furious engaged with the eternal, with the eternal, uh, the eternal struggle. Between... Light and dark, fast and no. slow. No, will to power oh, and you know, and, and and responsibility to your crew. And family, family. What what does family yeah. mean? It means people who you can drive really fast with. I can hear a trailer coming. <laughs> this summer, Johnny will be torn between his family. And his friends. <laughs> well, yeah. okay, yeah, you convinced me. You're fast and furious. Well, is- we, we've had this argument before, you know. I, I think Jolien, uh, one of our esteemed guests, came on and, and said that Seinfeld was, was better than Married with Children because it's high art, kind of thing. Yeah, I think low art can engage with these themes just as well as high art, but I don't think high art is recommended just because it's high art. And I think this was an attempt at some sort of relatively high art, wasn't it? Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, it doesn't, high art has to, has to communicate just as well as low art. You know, it has to communicate something. Quite right. It doesn't get a free pass just because he's... Yeah. Just because it's well done, you know. Well, he's beautifully shot, you know, and and, uh, and references the Bible and references 
cerebral ideas about what the Bible means, blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't get a free pass. Oh, okay, then. So I will give it a three for Thinky. Because it only just made me think now, because I didn't know that it was really about the Bible to that extent. Uh, I'm going to give it... It's made me think a little bit, so I'm going to give it a 3.5. So let me get this straight. You just thought it was actually a story about a writer in a house. Like a renovation. It's for the like entire movie. Home renovation. the entire movie, yeah. Oh, like, God. Like, Th- these poor couple. She's put so much work into that house, and now it's just been burnt down. Oh. I can see how that, that would have t- tugged your heartstrings, Paul. <laughs> No. This poor young mother. <laughs> so I'm going to score it 3.5 for the whole makes you think done it kind of stuff. My final score, overall score, Richard, is a desultory four, I'm afraid to say, which is not a recommend. No. I think it would be a bold man or woman who would recommend this to anybody, right? Anyone you knew. <sighs> Go and see Mother, you'll really enjoy it. I can't imagine who... Who would if, really you're in, if you're in any kind of emotional pain, please do not go and watch this movie because it will not make you feel better, more enlightened, more able to handle. It won't even affirm your pain kind of stuff. It's just... Whew, the best thing you can take out of it is, you know, it's all happened before and it's going to happen again, which is quite depressing. <laughs> I'll give it a three overall. A three? Whoa. That's harsh, isn't it? Richard, for... That is very harsh. Yeah. One of your lowest scores, I think. I think I went to see this in the cinema. This is not certainly not the first time I've seen it. Oh, Can you imagine you. going with someone you love to the cinema? Were you dating? I think it was a date date night, yeah. Oh, no. Oh, what a choice of a movie for a date. Yeah. I think there should be warnings. This is not a movie for dating, too. <laughs> there will be aborted fetuses. There will be babies... Eat it up on high, kind of rip limb from limb. It's not one you want to take your future potential spouse or baby bearer to, is it, kind of thing? Well, I know you proposed this movie last week, Paul, but I feel that it came from me. I kept suggesting it, and it probably mm. seeded. I I plucked it out of the cesspit, yeah. yes, that we, we created our, um, together, I think. So I think it's got to be your choice for next week. you got a choice of... Now, this... As you say, this uh, movie had a punctuation mark in it, although it wasn't used as punctuation. We could Ooh. go for a movie that uses an asterisk. No, not an asterisk. What do you call it? An octothorpe. A hash mark. And that's hashtag. Hash, hash mark in, alive. In the, in the common vernacular, hashtag. Yeah, well, it's, not, it's only a hashtag if it's a Twitter uh, hash Correct. mark, isn't it? If it's... Just a word with a hash sign in front sharp. of it. Yeah, sharp. Yeah. Sharp. So Sharp Alive, a Korean. Sharp Alive. Korean zombie movie, effectively. Ooh. Or The Cube. The Cube. Is that one word run together with Campbell Case in the middle? Or cube. Is it two words? I don't, I don't know how many words it is. I'm going to go, first of all, I like that both, uh, but I'm going to go for Sharp Hashtag. Alive. Alive. Back to zombies. I knew I would tempt you with zombies. Okay. Korean, I do believe. Anyway, before we go, yes. I wanted to say oh. about referent meaning. Oh, yeah? yeah? Okay. And we're talking about the coffee press and the cafetiere or the coffee plunger, the push button, the plunger, or the thrust of a pen. <laughs> and, and we're talking about whether exclamation marks with mother or hashtags with alive could be punctuation or are they just punctuation marks? I think a lot of this has to do with the idea of referent the referent nature of language. So I've found the name of the idea here. The language test for intelligent computers we call the Winograd Schema. Right, Winograd Schema. 
the Winograd schema. That's what, that's what I was trying to search throughout the entire podcast. While I was typing furiously on my phone to find it. The Winograd schema. And that's the idea that if I say a pen has a push button, you push it to make the pen work. Sorry, that's quite clear why it is there. Sorry. Uh, a pen has a push button <laughs> to... You, sorry, full stop. You press it uh, when you want to write. Uh, yeah. Okay. You press it when you want to write. Okay. So the, in the Winograd schema, most and nearly all, well, all intelligent uh, computers that have been built would not be able to tell you that it was referring to... The pen. The, the pen. Sorry, it was actually referring to the push the button and not the pen. The pen. Yeah. I'm sure it's the pen. <laughs> so, or am I an AI? So, I know we've talked about this before, and we rejected the idea that I was an AI. Surely, I remember listening to a to a skeptics podcast, where I posed this purposely stupid question, and I said to the to the presenter who was dealing with who promptly uh, alien you. life. Uh, no, right. she did. Well, she said some very rude things. But uh, <laughs> but it was meant to be a jokey question. So, I, but I'm not sure she knew that is the problem that I had. Is that my question was received in a really like oh that's a really terrible question to ask kind of way it wasn't it was meant to be an annoying question it was supposed to get a laugh but anyway so I asked you know is it the fact or do you think that it is the fact that among us there are aliens who have sex by shaking hands <laughs> and that was my question and she I thought for a moment was AI because she understood it to mean do all humans are all humans having sex when they're shaking hands because. Among us, to most humans, would imply that I'm referring to people who are not like the rest of us. Ah, uh, yes, yeah. Yeah, you see. And she, because she was busy answering questions, but she didn't really get the gist of the question. Because she said, I think I'll have to ask my dog, i.e. what do dogs think about humans, yeah? And she got the wrong gist about it, you see. So it's not something that we always do perfectly, but we do much better than computers. And I was going to bring this back to, yes, mother, Exclamation mark. What was the exclamation mark doing there? And why is it stylized as lowercase m? Mm, I think there's... Any ideas? I think there's some talk about this. Because you're not AI, so you'll be able to tell me why. Is what I'm saying. Oh, really? So only an, a human could answer this question? Only a human could answer this question. Or oh, God, potentially. But an AI could have parsed the same documents that I'm talking about and could, have just, re- could just regurgitate them at you, couldn't they? So I'm sure it could. Sure. Also, do you know they think within five years you can tell the AI what website you want designing, right? In human talk, and it will design it for you. It's crazy how how people should not be learning how to code right now. You should all quit your coding courses. Ah, uh, because you can just ask a computer. Can you? Mm. Will you be able to say? Can you do me a GeoCities site, please? Yes, you can say I want a GeoCities site. You know, and make it pop in the corners, kind of thing. And uh, can you put some AI in terms of user analytics on the screen time and how many clicks as they're looking at the banner? And it will do a little animated GIF of a guy under construction with a yeah pickaxe. Just say it, and it will do. It will search, you know, for the images and get it all up there for you. Hmm. It's crazy, like the accelerated futures that we're facing. It's like our faces are going to melt as we accelerate. I promise. But the exclamation mark, I think. Well, it's a bit like you know. God is the word, isn't it? It's it's an exaltation, and when she becomes pregnant, when she becomes a mother, yeah, it, she starts off as Earth Mother, but she becomes, you know, the mother, the Virgin Mother, the ah. Virgin Mary, the whatever they call it, the Holy Mother. 
I think that's Absolutely. what's going on. But again, it's wow. pretentious claptrap, isn't it? It is, yeah. But no pretentious, blah, 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 no drunken pretentious claptrap next week because don't forget we've got hashtag alive and Richard will tell us next week what the hashtag is all about. Until then, goodbye. Thank you.